everyone, it's Sammy. Welcome back to another episode of Politically Blonde. In this episode, I will be discussing the collapse of the Supreme Court. How did we get here? What devastating rulings have already come through? What is the next, and is there anything we can do to stop the destruction of our democracy? There once was a time when the nomination of a Supreme Court justice was not contentious. Justice Antonin Scalia was confirmed with a vote of 98 to 0, and Justice Ginsburg was confirmed with a vote of 96 to 3. These justices were polar opposites in terms of their political leanings, yet bipartisan senates confirmed them both easily. There once was a time when the voting decisions made by these justices were bipartisan and represented the opinions of the American people, as when Roe v. Wade was originally decided to allow constitutional protections of abortion rights in 1973 with the vote of 7 to 2, and when Brown v. Board of Education overturned separate but equal schools in 1954. It was with a vote of 9 to 0. There once was a time when the Supreme Court actually cared about protecting the American people's freedoms, and actually listened to a public opinion when deciding big cases around expanding their rights. However, all of this is obviously no longer the case. The beginning of the downfall of the Supreme Court can be traced back to 2016, near the end of President Obama's second term in office. However, some may argue that President George W. Bush's two nominations of Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito were made by a president who originally did not win the popular vote so do not represent the country's views at the time, but that's a whole other issue. In February of 2016, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia passed away, and President Obama nominated Merrick Garland to fill the vacancy. Garland was highly qualified, as he had served on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit since 1997, and was Chief Justice from 2013. Garland was also considered a political moderate, and was respected by much of the Republican Party, a concession by Obama to help him in his confirmation. Despite all of this, a few hours after Scalia's death, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell declared that any nomination by the president would not get a hearing. He argued that the justice should be appointed by the next president because the election was less than a year away, and after Justice Scalia's death, the American people deserved to say, and the justice and their voices could only truly be heard by their choice of the next president. While McConnell acted as if this was about protecting the people's choice, in a speech given in Kentucky in August of 2016, McConnell stated, One of my proudest moments was when I looked Barack Obama in the eye and said, Mr. President, you will not fill the Supreme Court vacancy. So, was this truly about the people? Or was this a way for the Republicans to exercise minority rule and control the outcome of the highest court? Well, we would only find out about four short years later. But prior to that, in the election in November of 2016, Donald Trump won the Electoral College vote despite losing the popular vote by almost 2.9 million votes. Shortly after, he nominated Neil Gorsuch to take Justice Scalia's place on the Supreme Court. Soon after, in 2018, Justice Anthony Kennedy retired with much encouragement from the Trump administration, and President Trump nominated highly controversial Brett Kavanaugh to take his place in spite of multiple credible sexual assault allegations. He was confirmed by the slimmest of margins, with Senator Susan Collins providing the deciding vote after being assured by Kavanaugh that he had no intention of overturning Roe v. Wade, 
because of its years-long precedent protecting the right to abortions. However, President Trump's most controversial nomination did not occur until September of 2020, less than six weeks before the presidential election. Just a week prior, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away due to pancreatic cancer. And President Donald Trump saw this as the perfect opportunity for him, his party, and Mitch McConnell to claim power once again. Despite RBG's death being less than two months before elections, Mitch McConnell seemed to no longer have an issue with quickly pushing through Supreme Court justices, and no longer cared about the will of the people who should have their voices heard by deciding the next president to appoint the justice. He assisted Trump in wrongfully barreling through Justice Amy Coney Barrett as a third ultra-conservative justice after voting had already begun for the election that Donald Trump then lost on November 3rd. Fast forward to the present, and we are now facing the consequences of the 6-3 to three conservative supermajority of the Supreme Court. The latest rulings have been devastating, if not surprising, especially since five of the six conservatives were nominated by presidents who initially lost the popular vote, and up to two of the three justices appointed by Trump should have been liberal nominations. One of the many harmful rulings the Supreme Court has made recently was to strike down a gun law in New York, which required state residents to have proper cause to carry a concealed firearm in public. Proper cause was considered hunting or target practice, but not self-defense. This decision argued this law was a violation of the Second Amendment, and now anyone with a permit can carry a concealed weapon. This is the opposite of what our country needs, with over 200 mass shootings leading to casualties having taken place this year alone, including the very recent Uvalde school shooting in Texas and the Buffalo supermarket shooting in New York. Three other recent rulings have begun to break down the wall intended for the separation of church and state, prohibiting the government from promoting specific religions. One allowed a Christian group to fly a flag with a cross at Boston City Hall. Another endorsed taxpayer money to be used to pay for students to attend religious schools in a Maine tuition assistance program. The third was decided in favor of a football coach praying with his team on the field in his official capacity as a government employee. These decisions have created dangerous precedents allowing state-sponsored religious demonstrations which run counter to the Constitution's separation of church and state. Another detrimental decision was the weakening of the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to combat climate change. The Supreme Court ruled that the EPA lacked authority to restrict emissions from power plants without a congressional law in place. Knowing that Democrats' very slim majority in the Senate, including the Senator Manchin from West Virginia, who opposes measures to fighting climate change, will never result in this law, the EPA has been weakened in its ability to help out not only the United States, but the world in its efforts to protect itself from climate change. The Supreme Court has also decided several cases in support of racism, weakening further the Voting Rights Act for people of color and also rights of Native Americans. The court has allowed racially gerrymandered electoral maps that were blocked in both Alabama and Louisiana, allowing black voters' representation to be diluted in both states. This runs counter to the Voting Rights Act, which forbids racial gerrymandering and allows states to limit the voices of its citizens based solely on race, a Jim Crow-era workaround by the conservative Supreme Court 
to keep black voters from counting in elections. In addition, the Supreme Court decided that states could prosecute non-Native Americans for crimes against Native Americans on tribal lands, ignoring their autonomy and tribal laws. This ruling put power back in the hands of the states and away from the federal government and tribes to determine sentences to crimes going against nearly two centuries of precedent. The most publicized and devastating ruling that has a direct impact on millions of women, girls, and those who can get pregnant is the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the 1973 decision that protected privacy and the right to abortion. This decision has allowed states to outlaw abortions without exception and in turn take control of women's bodies. Not only is this ruling disastrous in that it is going to limit abortions for women all across the country and will disproportionately affect people of color and those in lower socioeconomic classes who cannot afford to travel to other states in order to take control of their bodies, but it will also lead to even greater maternal mortality rates. Outlawing abortions only outlaws safe ones, and many women will likely die trying to save themselves and reclaim control over their own bodies. Many states do not even allow exceptions for rape or incest, which only accounts for about 1.5% of all abortions, forcing women and girls to carry fetuses and prolong their pain and suffering. The fact that control of our bodies should even be decided by the government is disgusting enough on its own. But to force babies into the world in a country that does not provide universal health care or child care or maternity leave and doesn't protect children in schools with gun restrictions is just unacceptable. This decision has been condemned the world over. Even the Vatican recognizes that pro-life means more than anti-abortion. If this was not enough, The overturning of Roe v. Wade is likely just the beginning of the rights we will lose in the future. Justice Clarice Thomas, in his concurring opinion to the decision, argued that the Supreme Court should reconsider its past rulings codifying rights to contraception access, same-sex relationships, and same-sex marriage. This terrible decision has opened the door for past freedoms to be stripped, taking away all the progress we had made as a country for decades, if not centuries. While it may feel as though all hope is lost, that is not the case. Yet. But we must act now to ensure that all of our rights are not stripped and that we retain our freedoms. The Senate is so concerned with the consequences of removing the filibuster to pass laws to protect us because of what might happen when Republicans regain control. But look what has already happened. If they don't work to stop the Supreme Court and its immoral conservative justices, We may lose everything. The court must be expanded or term limitations set for justices. Mitch McConnell has set up an unfair court to do his bidding, and we cannot allow it to strip us of all of our rights. If the current Congress will not do what is necessary, then we must vote them out. It is up to us and our responsibility to the Constitution, the country, and our fellow vulnerable citizens to vote for a government that will protect us and do what needs to be done to ensure we are all fairly represented and free to live our lives without fear of gun violence, to love whomever we choose, to protect climate change, to have a say over our own bodies, and to make sure the majority of our country determines the laws, not a ruthless minority. We must vote. We must sign petitions. We must make sure our voices and opinions are heard loud and clear in order to ensure that future decisions are not made without our consent.
there is still time for us to prevent any other irreversible damage. But we must act now, and in November, we must vote with our conscience. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Politically Blonde. Check out at Politically Blonde Podcast on Instagram and politicallyblonde.net. Please don't lose hope. Your voice matters now more than ever. This Independence Day, let's fight for our own independence to decide our personal rights and freedoms. Get the word out and make sure everyone you know votes. Make sure to come back next month to hear about another important social justice or political issue.